Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for uh, our latest bonus episode here in week eight of this current NBA season. I'm your host, Carson. Welcome to uh, this latest bonus episode of the podcast and this latest episode of the podcast. Um, Whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the show, either way, we really want to appreciate your support on the show and for tuning in. Uh, Thank you so much. I do owe in a quick apology. Uh, of course, this episode was scheduled to come out yesterday um, and uh, dropped the ball. My bad on that. Um, if I could offer an excuse that is not maybe asked for, but uh, I did recently start a new job. Um, so that's been an adjustment, you know, slightly different uh, schedule. I will say I prefer the schedule of this current job um, in terms of you know, starting hour, ending hour each day. Uh, my previous job, I was having to wake up at about 5.30. And I know that there are some jobs where you wake up even earlier than that. Um, 5.30 is, that's the earliest I've had to wake up for for any job on a, a regular basis. I actually worked a job where I had to, you know, there was a couple of shifts during the summer where I had to get up at like one o'clock. That's a whole other story. Basically, new job, kind of getting used to that schedule, but, um, you know, got mixed up in things, uh, got a little bit tired at the end of the, the day yesterday, um, dropped the ball. So my bad, but we're here doing it today, uh, along with our normal Friday episodes. So technically two episodes today. Um, so a lot of fun, but let's go ahead and hop into it. We're going to do, of course, our latest franchise focus. And this time we're going to be talking about a team that's in the NBA conversation a lot, but not for the reasons you would hope if you're a member of the team or a Pistons fan. Um, but we're going to talk about those Detroit Pistons uh, on today's latest bonus episode. So uh, without further ado, as I try and find my my audio drop, here we go. Let's go ahead and get started with our franchise focus for the Detroit Pistons. Franchise focus. Okay, as I just alluded to, yes, the Pistons are struggling. Currently, two and twenty-two. Um, although I believe they might be playing tonight. And let's do this as a, a quick preview into what we might have tomorrow. Uh or not tomorrow, but um Monday, once we come back from the weekend, we have results for tonight. 76ers at home beating the Detroit Pistons 124 to 92. So now they're two and 23. That makes it 22 straight losses for the Pistons. Of course, one of our latest weekly predictions was that the, or not predictions, but uh, it was a DEFCON level discussion about the chances of the Pistons shattering the all time record for consecutive losses. They're inching closer and closer, winning 8% of their games at the moment. And it is perplexing. Of course, the Pistons are a rebuilding team. We know this. Um, we know that they have not been good for several seasons. Um, the last time they were were a solid team was the 2019 season, the last time they made the playoffs. Really not that long ago. Feels like quite a long time ago, though. At that point... On the roster, they were led by Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, 
a sort of old school front court, but I liked that combination in its own weird way. Of course, I'm a bit of a um, traditional basketball fan myself. Reggie Jackson still in his Pistons years. Uh, Wayne Ellington was was still solid. It was in the league. Uh, a young Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown coming into his own. Um, Reggie Bullock. Some players here, you know, I like their mix, and they had a, a underrated head coach, and well, Dwayne Casey. Um, they they lose Blake Griffin, or you know, they uh, I want to say it was a buyout kind of forced his way out. And then the same thing for Andre Drummond, uh, more so just they traded him because he wasn't going to fit their timeline. Um, and so eventually um, the last couple of seasons, they've been in a full rebuild mode. Of course, they got the first overall pick uh, in the 2021 NBA draft and uh, selected Cade Cunningham out of Oklahoma state. Uh, and he's, been a bright spot for them this season in terms of production. Um, they've been drafting a lot of guards. They've been drafting a lot of players in general. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just. Um, so we get a notification. Sorry about that. Um, I don't know. I don't understand it, especially they they made a coaching change, bringing in Monty Williams, who had had success most recently in Phoenix leading that team to the finals in 2021. Um, and Monty Williams now the head coach in Detroit, and they have gotten off to a terrible start. Um, let's look at the roster again. Cade Cunningham, about 22 points a game, 7.3 assists, four rebounds, about a steal a game, um, decent shooting percentages. In his third season, excuse me, third season, after missing most of last year with injury, um, he's been very good. He's been very competent. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich has only played a handful of games. He would be their kind of second leading scorer. Isaiah Stewart, 10.7 boards. Uh, Jalen Duran, 12 points, 10 boards. He's missed about half the games he could have played. Asar Thompson, 10 points, 8 boards. Rebounding-wise, they seem to be doing that okay. Um Shooting wise, what is their team shooting percentage? That would be a question. Um, 3.38. Not stellar. You have some three point shooters. Marcus Sasser, the rookie, who's been maybe a bit of a bright spot for them late in the draft or later in the draft. Uh, second year, Jaden Ivey, not doing as great as he did in his rookie year. Killian Hayes, a lot of minutes, not as much to show for it. Uh, I know Pistons fans are a little upset with his increased playing time compared to some of the other guards, Marvin Bagley, Isaiah Livers, um, Kevin Knox, but I think he, is he still on this roster? I thought he was somewhere else. No, he's, he's on the team. I don't know. It's a weird mix. You know, I, there's different philosophies and I think I've said this very recently, said it before, but um, there's a philosophy of you draft the best player available. Um, and then there's a philosophy of drafting players that are going to, that are going to fit a overall team plan. Um, I, I certainly can't say what, which one is best if there is a better option. Um, what I can say is that in my 
very unprofessional opinion, drafting three point guard type players. I know Asar has been a little more of a, a wing or has been versatile in that sense, but point guard type players three straight years um, seems odd. Even if all three of those guys pan out, you know, great. You're going to have great guards. Um, as much as the center position has been devalued in, in certain situations, certain styles of center play, um, I think that you still got to have a, a, a solid front court. And that's not to discredit these guys. I think Jalen Duran has been uh, a, an underrated draft uh, selection, and I don't get why he hasn't been or why he wasn't more of a focus his rookie year where when the signs were kind of there that he could be a, a standout defender uh, and inside presence. We've seen it in the moments that he's played this season. That would certainly help them out. You know, with Cunningham being more the offensive uh, driver, Duran can provide that inside defensive game and the, and the role pick and roll, you know, that can be a good thing for their offense. You know, you get scoring around it. Bogdanovich can work for that. Um, I think Isaiah Stewart starting alongside Duran feels odd, as, even though Isaiah Stewart's picking up the three-point shooting. Maybe you can prove me wrong there, but I don't know. I'm not sure, really, because there there is the young talent, and there's there's players on this team. There really is. Joe Harris has played, you know, not that many games and hasn't been as effective when he has played. James Wiseman is still here. Talent-wise, they should be winning a lot more than they are and you can you can give it you know the the reason to injury you can say it's um maybe say it's coaching um uh, maybe some people doubt what monty williams is able to do you you know you can point to the fact that he was with phoenix and they were still struggling early the first half of his tenure in phoenix or first half of his first year rather and then they, in the bubble, they kind of came together and then a switch was flipped and then they became one of the better teams in the NBA. Um, is that going to happen here? Maybe not quite in such a short order without um, the star level players. Um, so I can't quite say that. Um, you know, there's not a Devin Booker quite yet. You know, Cade Cunningham maybe hopes to be something like that in the future, um, a star guard, but. I don't know. You can point to the coaching. You can point to, you know, misusing the talent, the the youth of the talent. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's perplexing. And again, I'm sure there's someone with more of a uh, insight into the the rosters fit together that would be able to explain this a little bit more effectively. Um, because as I'm talking through it, it's like, well, let's see if we can find what's wrong. Um, the the three guards together, Asar Thompson, Cunningham, and then either Hayes or Ivy. Um, as much as it's a small ball league, I think that could be a, a factor. You know, Thompson is forced out of position a bit. Um, and then Cunningham and Ivy are kind of having to play the same role together, or trying to play the same role together, even though they're, uh. You, know, you can only have so much of the same player on the floor, I guess. Uh, in in that sense of it, in terms of a a lead guard, so maybe that's it. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Excuse me. 
it's just strange. If you look at what where they rank league wise, I mean, yeah, three point shooting is is low in terms of um three pointers made, three pointers attempted, um percentage shot. Um they're almost at the at the bottom of the league. They hardly get any steals and they turn the ball over a lot to the other team. They foul a lot. They're not scoring very much in general. Um, they're shooting. They're in the bottom third percentage wise. Um, so maybe then you chalk it up to coaching. How is the offense, the offensive structure, you know, working against other teams? Are they able to find efficient shots? Are they taking good shots? Are they taking the three, you know, the, the value of the three versus the two. So there's a number of things to to point to, and maybe coaching boils down uh, some of those things. I don't know. Again, again, and that feels weird because Monty Williams has had such great success. Um, and he also was successful in New Orleans with the, the Hornets. So who knows? Um, but right now, this this year it is gonna be is gonna be something. It's gonna be a catalyst one way or the other, I think. Um whether it's uh a week from now they turn things around and they start stringing wins together. Or it's a it's a year from now they they turn things around. At at some point, you know, <clears throat> sometimes the the crucible, you're in the the heat of uh, immense losing, immense pressure, immense whatever. Maybe that is something that can really you know the the high pressure can turn your coals at coal into diamonds. Um, in a sense, but at the same time, you also want to be winning and playing more meaningful games. You know, you're the, you're a two and 23 team and you're facing off against, uh, you know, a, a, a top five team in the West, you win the game. The credit is not on you. It's what was wrong with the other team. What did they do wrong? You know, I don't know if that's exactly the same thing, but I don't know. It's, it's weird the coaching question um but hopefully this pressure and this this situation that's really what it is this situation can refine the talent on the roster in some sort of way or give them something to uh to use as a fuel or a, a time to to get right to figure out how to win truly and uh and go forward because as much as the Pistons have had great losing stretches, um, you know, as a franchise, they have a winning percentage of 47%, which is surprising for as long of a franchise, as long as they've existed as a franchise. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, they've had some great runs. Of course, the uh, the entirety of the 2000s, pretty much, they were anywhere from uh, a decent team that slipped into the playoffs a couple of those years to most prominently one of the most dominant defensive teams of that era and a championship winner in 04. Of course, they had the bad boys era in the late 80s and early 90s where they were intimidators, they were intense, and they uh, won two championships back-to-back. In the late 70s, they were competitive in the playoffs with one of their franchise greats, Bob Lanier. 
But for this episode of Franchise Focus, where we're actually in our second segment where we're talking about a historic team, I wanted to actually go back to not even when they were the, the Detroit Pistons, back when they were in Indiana as the Fort Wayne Pistons and talk about the 1954-1955 Fort Wayne Pistons. This is one of the oldest teams, maybe the oldest so far, uh, outside of that Celtics team that we've talked about on this podcast. And uh, I, I'm going to do my best. I, I really enjoy the history of the game, and I'm familiar with some of these names. Um, not as many as I'd like to be. Um, but this team had stars for its era, for the 50s. Uh, some of the greats of that that decade and that time on this team. I'll start with George Yardley, who was in his sophomore season at this point. Um, he was in the season, he got his first ever playoff, or not playoff berth, uh, all-star berth, uh, averaging 17 points a game and 10 rebounds. Um, remember, in this era, scoring was lower uh players shooting a lower percentage for our consideration that, that was a high percentage i mean this is a guy shooting about 42 percent from the floor in this season and that would be considered wow great score great shooter uh 17 points a game 10 boards no steals or blocks or re, uh steals or blocks tracked in this time um shooting about 75 percent from the free throw line uh, so he was in the emergence of his career later on in the 58 season, he would actually average about 28 points per game, which for that era especially was pretty wild. Um, but um, he was a multi-time all-star. Um, he's a Hall of Famer uh, for how great he was in his era. Alongside him is a, a Pistons uh, standout <clears throat> for these early to late 50s teams. Uh, in Fort Wayne, and uh, he was there for, I think, until the last season they were in Fort Wayne. Um, Larry Faust is the uh, the center here, 6'9", 215 center, um, a rebounding champ in 52, a eight-time All-Star, seven of those, or six of those, rather, in Fort Wayne with the Pistons. This season averaging about 17 points, 10 rebounds, so him and Yardley, um, putting together those stats. And then you have Max Zas- Zaslovsky, uh, Slats, a nickname attributed to him. Uh, the first, uh, actually second scoring champ in league history. The first scoring champ was, uh, I want to say it was Joe Folks maybe, but let me go ahead and double check that for us. Yes, Joe Folks was the, the first season's scoring champ. Second season, Max Zaslovsky. Not an easy name to say uh, for the Chicago Stags, but at this point now, later in his career, this was a second to last season, still a productive guard. Um, at this point, just a, a kind of a combo guard, maybe. Um, and then you have Andy Phillip, one of the uh, original true point guards, um, averaging about seven and seven point seven assists and nearly ten points for this era. Again, you're talking about a guy maybe more average than like eleven assists. Um, or, or 10 assists, maybe. So he, he was a standout um, distributor. And then the uh, the missing piece in the starting lineup, Mel Hutchins, your power forward, um, brother-in-law to Ernie Vandeway, who is the, the father of Kiki Vandeway. Um, Hutchins was an all-star himself. This was actually the one year in a five-year run right in the middle of it where he didn't 
make an all-star team, but he was solid all around 12 points, uh, nine rebounds, three assists. So for their, for their era, this was a really, uh, stacked lineup. Um, very well rounded. Um, you look at the bench though. And, um, there's, there's names. And I wish that I was more familiar with the fifties era and these players, um, I can't say Frankie Bryan was an all-star um, earlier in his career uh, in the very, you know, early fifties and was a, a backup guard at this point. So he was a productive player. You also have um, Monk Meineke. Um, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who was uh, the 1953 rookie of the year in the NBA. Um, two seasons prior to this season, we're talking about this year. Uh, a reserve forward, but he was uh, still solid um, in those minutes. And then outside of that, we have Dick Rosenthal, um, Bob Hubregs, Paul Walther, Al Roges, and Jim uh, Fritsch. And I'm not familiar a lot with these guys' game. I mean, Roges and, and Fritsch played, uh, you know, not very many games. Uh, Walther, Hubregs, <clears throat> and Rosenthal, excuse me. We're, we're decent rotational guys, I suppose. They're role players. Um, not much more I can add. When you look in the playoffs, uh, Faust and Yardley stepped up their games to lead the the Pistons in scoring. And that's really what kind of drives this. Um, again, these early 50s Pistons teams were consistent competitive teams in the Western Conference or Western Division of that era. <clears throat> and this was the first of two straight finals appearances in the mid-50s. Um, this first one, uh, a finals loss to the Syracuse Nationals in a seven-game series. Tough loss. That Nationals team, I want to proffer to say that was their first championship. Yeah, they'd been building towards a championship, um, and they were able to get it in this season. And um, where is he? Dolph Shays. Yeah, of course, he was a star. But, um, I mean, a heck of a run for this Pistons squad led by head coach Charles Ekman. Uh, and their executive, of course, was Fred Zollner. If you're not familiar with the, the founding of the Pistons, they're called the Pistons because of Fred Zollner's uh, company. They were a manufacturer of automotive Pistons. And so that was true of a lot of these teams, especially in the, uh, the NBL, which the Pistons started in actually as far back as the 1930s. Um, these teams had names like the Zollner Pistons or the uh, Akron Goodyear Wingfoots, the Toledo Jim White Chevrolets. Um, companies in you know Midwestern towns, bigger companies that wanted to sponsor a basketball team or, or form a basketball team, and they would just call them the you know the company team almost. And that was the NBL's kind of mo. And the Pistons were one of a handful of teams like the uh, the Lakers and the Rochester Royals, who uh, actually have roots in that league as well. So that's where they got their name. The move to Detroit only seems fitting with the Pistons nickname, um, but just a little bit more history for you as far as the Pistons are concerned. Um, but yes, they they lose that finals to the, the Nationals um, and uh, that Nationals team, very good. I want to see if I can find some... Uh, finals stats for us maybe series stats here we go and i'll see if i can close some of these other tabs 
my tab management has not been stellar. Um, I mean, they're going up against a guy who led the league in both points and rebounds in Dolph Shays. Um, they still, you know, the, the Pistons had the league's leader uh, in assists per game, of course, and total assists. So that was in their advantage. Um, yeah, Shays dominated the series. Um, 19 points a game, 12 rebounds, and then Red Kerr, 12 points, 11 rebounds alongside him. Those two were were standout. And they also had Red Roca, who was more of a center himself. So they were really kind of starting three bigs, you know, a great advantage in this era, three of the best bigs of that era. And then you look at the Pistons, balance scoring, Faust and Yardley, and, and Frankie Bryan, actually, um, who had been an all-star and was coming off the bench during the regular season, comes in uh, to average 15 points a game in the finals um, alongside Andy Phillip, and then uh, Max Soslowski kind of went to the bench. So the two veteran guards kind of swapped places. They had both been previously all-stars. Um, a nice luxury for your team to have. Uh, but they come up short, uh, losing that series, but still a great team for their era. And that's really wanted to, what I wanted to focus on um, again, the Pistons get kind of talked about as a team that with, they have championship pedigree, but they've not been that great um, overall compared to a team like, say, the Lakers or Celtics in terms of consecutive and and continual success. But they've got a great history. Again, the the NBL is, history is something I'd really like to dive into um, when I have the chance a little bit more in depth. But for now, I'll leave it at that a great team and a great foundational piece for this franchise um, that would allow them to survive a move to Detroit and to continue to be important to the league, to be a cornerstone type team, even when they were struggling throughout the sixties and into the seventies. Um, great team. And that's, I suppose where I'll leave that. And let's go ahead and transition to our franchise player. And this is going to be someone that I have an easier time talking about because he's currently playing still in the NBA. We're going to talk about Andre Drummond, and I want to highlight how underrated his career in Detroit already is, because, again, most of the time they they were still not that great, even though they're better than they had been in the early 2010s. Um, they made the playoffs a couple times, and uh, he was a league leader continually in rebounds. Um, you're talking about from 2016 to 2020, uh, even his uh, abbrevi- abbreviated Cleveland stint before the uh, bubble season in Orlando where the Cavaliers did not play, so their season ended uh, with the pandemic uh, beginning. But from that stretch, uh, he led the league in rebounding four out of those five years. Um, one year in 2018, averaging 16 rebounds per game. Um, one of the best rebounders of our recent era. And he was consistent, too. You look at 2014 to 2019, uh, those six seasons, he only missed, uh, let's see, four, three. He only missed uh, 10 games over those six years. That is consistency. I really appreciate that. He was an above 50% uh, field goal score, even though he wasn't really looking to score. He averaged about 15 points a game uh, during his uh, Pistons run, but he was a consistent scorer there and he worked on the rebounding. How about 2017 to 2018, his re his rebounding improvement years, um, 2017, about 13.8 rebounds per game, but 
but with the free throws, 38.6% from the free throw line. He comes back the following year in 2018, 16 rebounds per game and 60% from the free throw line. Still not stellar, but he worked on it and he got better. And that actually held. You look at that 2018 season to now, he has averaged 58% from the free throw line, slightly under, but he still had the drive to work on the free throws and get a little better. And it hasn't been too much of an issue, um, especially now where he's more of a spot minutes guy, but just phenomenal rebounding stats. The defense was underappreciated too. You look at 2018 to 2020, averaged about 1.7 steals and 1.7 blocks per game. Phenomenal career. And again, it gets underrated because uh, the Pistons were not a standout Eastern Conference team. And the rebounding game is not a very uh, flashy number or or stat, but it is impactful and it is uh, impressive. Um, and he's got great size too. I mean, 6'11", you know, good height, but uh, 280, um, maybe slightly less than that in his Detroit years. Um, just stout, just not like a physical spe- specimen in terms of the strength and, you know, chiseled physique, but more just stout, solid. Like you you, you run into, if you were to have, set a solid screen, you run into that, you know, probably going to be an issue. Um, <clears throat> so just great in his Detroit years. It's underrated for that. I mean, he came out of a great college program in, in UConn, and um, he has a lot of records attributed to him or, or notable stats attributed to him in his Wikipedia page. And I just was combing through this. Um, in his uh, 2016 season, became the first Pistons player to record three consecutive double-doubles to start the season since Ben Wallace. Um, he was – there was a more interesting one here – November 3rd of that season, Drummond recorded 25 points and a career-high 29 rebounds. The first Piston with back-to-back 2020 games since 1985 with that stat. Um, I mean, you know, consecutive games in category of like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Wilt Chamberlain are some of these unique stats or or these specific stats, and sometimes those are cherry-picked. I understand that, but um, he's still a phenomenal rebounder. Um, How about this? December 18th of that season, Drummond recorded 21 rebounds and a career-high 33 points in a quadruple overtime win and uh, against the Chicago Bulls. Um, first player for the Pistons to that stat line is Dennis Rodman. Um, just phenomenal uh, company to be in with some of these stat lines. Um, and he continued that throughout his run. Um even though the Pistons were never really watched in that era and still aren't especially or are watched now for the wrong reasons. But in that era, um, it was constantly, you know, what once every couple of weeks, you hear something about a crazy rebounding stat line that Drummond put up or, you know, over this span, he's been averaging this many rebounds or um, something to affect, you know, a standout defensive game. Um, I mean, his career high in blocks, in a game with seven, his career high in steals was six. Uh, so just underrated. And that's really all I can leave it at um, in a, a pantheon of Pistons, uh, especially with a defensive edge and a rebounding edge. You're talking about some great rebounders in the Pistons history, Bob Lanier, uh, Dave DeBusher in there, certainly, um, you know, solid inside guys like Rasheed Wallace and then incredible defensive players like Ben Wallace and, and Dennis Rodman. Drummond is not, a Ben Wallace 
or a Rodman. Um, but he's the next best thing and the next best combination of those two guys, perhaps, that you could hope for <clears throat> with, you know, the physique and a modern era style still effective as a, a steals and blocks guy, but focused on the rebounds and could have been, if he had the talent around him, I think could have been on a, a contending team in the East. I really do. And uh, just a great player, great career that gets underrated. And that's where I'll leave it with Andre Drummond. So that I think is going to end it for our bonus episode today. Uh, our latest franchise focus. Thank you all again for listening. If you want to check out our social medias, that's uh, Instagram and Facebook at crossover across time. Pretty straightforward on Twitter slash X, whichever you prefer. Uh, you can find us at X over across time due to the character limit for the uh, username uh, on all of those. You also find a link tree that will take you to any of the other pages along with the podcast uh, itself, which we're on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and uh, RSS.com. So definitely check us out. On all of those, support us any way you can. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you're listening to this, the episode for Friday should already be up as well or will be up uh, within the next couple of hours or hour or so. So definitely tune into that if you'd like. Otherwise, uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you uh, on the next episode later today, I suppose. We'll, we'll be with you then. 